Thank you for joining us on the Underdog Podcast, the place where we believe at one point in your life, you were an underdog and overcame adversity. And for that reason, we want to hear your story. I am your boy, Calvin Blackman. And I am Kyle Decker. This episode is powered by the Riley Decker Companies. The right decision. For more information, go to RileyDecker.com. Brotherhood, stay strong and never give up. That's what comes to mind with our guest, Casey O'Brien. At the young age of 13, Casey was diagnosed with osteosarcoma, a type of bone cancer. Not only did Casey win that battle, but he's beat cancer not one, not two, not three, but four times. He's currently a member of the Big Ten Powerhouse University of Minnesota Golden Gophers football team and is here to share his inspiring story. Welcome to the Underdog Podcast, Casey, man. It's good to have you. Appreciate you guys having me on and uh, looking forward to, to getting to you guys today. Definitely. So I want to go, uh, you know, I, I saw your story last year during college football um, with Gene Wojcikowski. And, and I knew right away, I said, man, I would love to get this kid on the podcast. Um, you know, and I told you I reached out via Facebook and you you definitely dated me. Like, I don't get on Facebook very much. And I was like, OK, <laughs> all right. All right. So uh, Facebook was created when we were in college. This is true. Which is 20 <laughs> years ago. That means we're old. man. <laughs> um, so, but I want to start with a quote that you had mentioned during the during the uh, special on ESPN. Um, Gene Wojcikowski said, what possessed you to think that you could do this, meaning be a walk-on at the University of Minnesota? Um, and you said, I don't know. I mean, I've kind of been an underdog for the last five years of my life. It'll just add to the story. Can you talk a little bit about that quote? Um, and then we'll go into, you know, back when you were 13 and kind of when everything started. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you get diagnosed with osteosarcoma, which is the the type of bone cancer that I was diagnosed with. Um, if I would have been diagnosed two years earlier, it would have been an amputation from my uh, left down. And so when I uh, when I was first diagnosed, my first question was, when can I get back to playing sports? And they looked at me and said, right now we're just trying to save your leg. So I knew how serious it was at that point. Um, and I knew that I had a long road ahead of me. Um, and right then and there said that uh, – my football career, my hockey career, and my lacrosse career were all most likely over because I was going to have a, a re knee replacement put in, and I most likely wouldn't be able to, to walk normally or even jog on it ever again. So um, hearing that, I knew that uh, I was going to be an underdog. So um, it's kind of a, a uh, something that I've owned and uh, like a personality trait that I've grown to love. You were a three-sport athlete, and to be 13 years old, you know, you, at 13, you really don't know a lot. But I know to hear, you know, that you've got cancer or to find out that, I mean, no matter how old you are, that has to just be, just rip your heart out. But, you know, you obviously, uh, you know, you fought. You definitely fought. And I know my partner here uh, was a quarterback, and I believe you were a quarterback at the time when you found this out. Uh, yep. so I'm sure there's some synergy there. I'll, I'll pass it to my guy here to have a, maybe a little bit of a quarterback talker. Yeah, we, we, so our, our, uh, mentor is a guy named Ryan Hawk, um, played college football, his brother's AJ Hawk. Uh, but Ryan played at uh, Miami and then transferred to Ohio university, but he's been our, he has a big podcast called the learning leader. And, and one thing when he was mentoring us, he said, you know, focus on some of the uncommon commonalities. 
So Casey, you and I, I was a walk-on myself at Miami, Ohio, and I was a four-year letter winner being a placeholder. <laughs> so um, I, uh, I, I, you know, when I, when I was watching last year, as, as Calvin said, I really got to learn your story. I know the Big Ten uh, kickoff and then uh, all the way through to college game day, then to uh, the, the college award show, I think down in Atlanta, <clears throat> really followed your story and, um, you know, for the brand, first of all, thumbs up over here. Uh, you're definitely representing the brand and, and from a placeholder, I guess, uh, pride, uh, perspective. So, um, anyway, I wanted to share that and, uh, <clears throat> I was watching your first hold and, and you got laces back and you spun it really, really nice. So, uh, against Rutgers, I was like, wow, that t- talk about the first one, uh, yeah. and you got the laces on the backside and you had to spin it and you spun it beautifully. You tilted it nice. Like I said, most people don't really watch holding with a lot of uh, precision or respect. And I'm, I'm right there, now, man. That was beautiful. Now, when you say holding for those who don't know, you're talking about holding for a field goal or a point after touchdown, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. So most people don't understand what a holder is. So it's a kind of, uh, I guess Casey and I can educate our listeners. <laughs> um, so a holder is yes. So it's the guy that's on typically one knee, uh, depending on if it's a left kicker or right kicker, depends on what side you're, you're lined up on and, you know, catches the ball, puts it down. And it's a lot of the unheralded uh, area. But I was a walk on Casey, earned a scholarship uh, my third year at Miami. So I tried to do whatever it could. And, and once again, I just, you know, it's your story is incredible about the cancer and everything of overcoming it over four times. And and uh, I know you had something this past November as well. But uh, anyway, just you make uh, the holder, uh, I guess, alumni extremely proud uh, for what you did. And, and um, like I said, I've, I've watched your practices. I watched all your holds that at least they showed on TV and they look pretty good. Appreciate that. Uh, I'm glad somebody recognized uh, I've been, been grinding out there. So it's been uh, it's been a pretty special experience. And um, uh, it's been a, been a fun ride. I'll tell you that much for sure. Yeah. And it's super, which people don't realize to add a little bit more education. Thank you, Black. This is actually my, my kind of, uh, my kind of podcast. Get to talk about holding field for field, field goals. So I might just, is, I might let you two just have the podcast. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Yeah. We could probably teach Tony Romo a few things, but, um, <laughs> hey, we don't bring that one up. That's a bad luck for holders. <laughs> That's right. I know. I know, but I'm, I'm off the game so I can, I can say it now, but, uh, but no, you, you know, I just, your between your hand movement and how you catch it with your hands. And obviously a lot of former quarterbacks have good hands. And um, like I said, the way you were spinning it, the drills I saw and a lot of the, the specials they did on you. And um, I know you have two guys that were in front of you now. Is it your holding job to lose per se, or how's it this next year going to look? Yeah. So um, we, uh, we graduated, there was a redshirt senior who was in front of me who had been a four-year starter. And then there was a uh, transfer redshirt senior who had held at SMU, who was ahead of me as well. Um, so those two traveled and were ahead of me the, the whole year. Um, but I was still getting reps in practice and stuff like that. And so they both graduated, but we also had a, uh, a transfer fifth-year punter from Middle Tennessee transfer in. So we're kind of going back and forth. Um, I would say that the beginning of spring ball, I might have had like a little bit of the upper hand just because I've been around and I know our our system for our PT field goal and stuff like that. But it was definitely going to be a battle back and forth to see who's going to win the job. And obviously, spring ball got cut a little short. So um, it'll be interesting to see how things play out when we get to go back. But uh, I'm looking forward to competing for the job. 
Nice. No doubt. And but most important to get back to your story. And I know you're going to compete and just have the ability to to be alive, really, and to compete uh, to for the holding position or the placeholder position is is impeccable in itself. So let's let's dive into your story. As Calvin was saying, let's take it back to your first diagnosis when you were first diagnosed. I believe that was when you were 13. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of um, touched upon it, kind of go through that cycle of each time. And I know it was what, twice in high school and two times in, in early college or as you're transitioning? Uh, my initial diagnosis, I was a freshman in high school and I was playing for our freshman A team as a quarterback. And I dropped back to pass on my left knee when I was pushing off to drop back. There's there's this pain that kept on getting worse. And we went to three or four different doctors and knee specialists and no one could really figure out what was wrong. I wasn't getting any better. And it got to the point where we had to go in and get an MRI on it because I could barely even walk on it. And that MRI, they, uh, they found a tumor the size of a softball on the inside of my left knee. And at the time I didn't know what it meant. And I think that honestly, that I was kind of lucky to be diagnosed as young as I was because uh, you're a little bit naive at that age. So um, just kind of was like, just tell me what I got to do to get back to, to live in my normal life. So had a port put in my chest, chemotherapy, um, got rolling with that. I would be inpatient for five straight days and, uh, slept overnight in the hospital. Um, had IV lines going into my port in my chest and did that for about three months and then had a, uh, full knee replacement surgery, uh, where they also replaced uh, two bones and used cadaver bones. Um, so it was a pretty extensive knee surgery where I had uh, um, about 200 stitches. Uh, it was like an eight and a half hour knee surgery. Um, so I had that surgery and then finished with about five more months of chemotherapy in the end of my uh, freshman year going into my, my, so- my freshman year summer, I, w- I guess it would be. And so I got into my sophomore year of high school was cancer-free, and my three-month scans were all clean. Got into my six-month scans, and they were like, yeah, there's something that showed up in one of your lungs. Um, we don't think it's anything, but we're going to monitor it, and we're going to scan it again in three months uh, to make sure that it was nothing. And so three months goes by. I don't really think much of it, and have that next scan, and there's uh, one spot in my right lung and two spots in my left lung. So when osteosarcoma gets into your lungs, it's a bad deal. Um, obviously I, I don't really tend to look at the percentages much, but they, they go down quite a bit when it's in one year lungs, much less both year lungs. So I knew that I had a little bit of an uphill fight there, um, and had a surgery right away to take out, uh, the spot that only was in at the side that only had one spot. Um, then have my port put back in my chest and started with the, uh, secondary chemotherapy plan. Um, this one was a more intense plan. So I would be in for like six straight days and then I would have two weeks off to, to rest and recover. And this was going into my junior year of high school. And at this point I was kind of tired of this whole cancer thing. And I was like, I want to take my life back and I want to figure out a way to, to make myself feel normal. So I figured that I would find a way back on the football field. And my options came down to either being a punter or a placeholder because those are the two spots where you're not supposed to get hit. And I ended up settling on placeholder because uh, nobody likes punters anyways. <laughs> uh, so started to work on placeholding a little bit when I was uh, having those two weeks off when I was out of the hospital. And um, had two weeks of, of 
fall camp as a high schooler, as a junior going into my first varsity season, and actually played in my first varsity game and checked into the hospital for chemo the next morning. Um, so I was playing. I was bald. I was like 130 pounds, had a port in my chest and a replaced knee and was playing high school football as a as a varsity player. And that was a dream come true. But uh, I didn't want to stop there. My doctors were kind of like, yeah, nice. Like you played in your first game. Like glad that God that did that. Now you can just focus on getting healthy. And I was like, no, I'm playing the rest of the season. So um, we would have I'd be in the hospital for a week and I'll miss that Friday night. And then I would have two weeks off where I was supposed to be laying around and resting and recovering. And I'd play in those two Friday nights. And then I'd have a week where I'd miss a game because I'd be in the hospital. And then I'd go back and start those next two weeks. So I think I played in like six games in my junior year of high school and then missed like four because I was going through chemo. So it's a pretty crazy story when you look back at that. Dude, that's remarkable. Um, that is yeah, like, pretty cool. You think about... And then, what was that? I was just saying, you think about, you know, just kids being in high school and we always think it's just so tough being a high school football player. But, you know, I, I say this every episode, you just never know what some, what someone's going through and for you to, to be out there and going through what you're going through and to fight and go out and play six high school football games and, you know, kind of go against the doctor's word, you know? So I, again, I just think that's remarkable, man, but I'll, I'll, I, sorry for interrupting. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. That's, that's one thing that, that I like to tell people is that uh, the one thing that is so special to me about football is that, when I put on a helmet and shoulder pads, no matter what I'm going through, the other team doesn't care about that. And if I fumble a snap or if I get a bad snap, then I'm going to get hit just like anybody else would get hit. So it makes me kind of feel normal in a time that's, that's not always so normal. Yeah. So finished my uh, junior season, um, finished with treatment uh, about December of my junior year of high school. Um, was cancer-free all through the rest of junior year of high school. Cancer-free cancer-free and played my whole senior year of high school. Um, got into my first year at the University of Minnesota. Um, can we can we pause there real quick? Because I know you mentioned um, Coach Fleck and the impact. He's the only one that gave you an opportunity. And my partner here was a walk-on as well. Um, and not everyone really knows what kind of goes into being a walk-on and really just getting an opportunity to play not only college football, but at a prestigious Division One program that's on TV week in and week out. So can you talk about that opportunity that uh, you had to, to join the team and be in a walk-on? Absolutely. Um, I, when I was a senior in high school, I didn't want to stop playing football. I didn't want my career to be over. So I was swinging for the fences. I was calling different coaches around the country and, and trying to get them to get on the phone for a few minutes and just listen to my story. And a lot of the feedback that I was getting was like, yeah, man, this is amazing, yada, 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 but we don't think you're going to get cleared here to play. And to do, you'll probably just be a practice player. Um, we don't take that risk of putting you on the field. And then I got to Coach Flex, and he was like, he loved it. From, from our first meeting, he loved it. And he was like, um, if you're the best we have, you're going to play. we got to make sure that we can get you cleared, but if you're the best we have, you're going to play. So. I immediately knew that uh, that was going to be the right fit for me. And it was a state that I grew up in and 15 minutes from the house that I grew up in and had grown up going to go for games. So uh, everything kind of lined up for me there. And um thankful for that opportunity. Absolutely. It's got chills. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> just speaks, like I said, I, I'm just sitting here listening and just, I'm, I'm sitting here in my head, you know, thinking about my high school time and, and college and trying to 
you know, imagine trying to put myself to go back to the room as we call it and see, you know, everything that and, and imagine everything you went through. And then it just speaks volumes to coach Fleck. I mean, I think we've been around a lot of college coaches ourselves and around a lot of our, you know, uh, teammates are now coaches and, um, you know, it's, it's just so admirable what coach Fleck to give you an opportunity. And now it's turned into, you know, you're impacting thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Like I said, I, I remember watching your story on my couch and unfortunately my sons are too young to really understand it, but I will show them as they get older. I have two boys, a four and a one and a half. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think to me, those stories that ESPN does and the highlight they did on you was just, I mean, to me, it's just so motivating and especially during, you know, tough times around in this world, you know, we need more Casey O'Brien's, uh, out there. And, uh, anyway, not to go on, go on long tangents, but you know, I, I just, I'm not, I guess I'm almost out of words, you know, just because I just, you know, you're, you, it's an incredible story. I know you're, you've probably talked to a lot of people and you've heard this a lot, but you know, we really appreciate you setting an example, um, for, you know, many people and, uh, it's going to impact people in a positive lo- way and probably save a bunch of lives. You probably won't even ever realize it, but you know, the Casey O'Brien, um, you know, example will probably spur someone to motivate themselves and give them hope to, me- to mentally and physically fight through, you know, what that is. Um, speaking upon that, I know, um, you know, maybe emotional piece of your story is when you were, I know you spent 300 plus nights in the hospital, something like that. And, you made a lot of friends and you wear, you know, wristbands, I think up to seven, if I'm, if I'm correct. And I know not all yeah, those. It's, got, sp- it's gotten a couple, couple more since the, uh, the initial story. So okay. I can show you guys right here. I think, sure. I think last I expected like 13. Amazing. Um, so after my story was on ESPN, I was getting all these letters from different people around the country saying like, my son's going through this. Um, my brother passed away from osteosarcoma. I'm going through it right now. And so people were sending wristbands like crazy. And I was like, I'm going to wear every one I get. So um, I got some from all over the country. And I, it's pretty cool to get to represent everybody that uh, is following my story when I get to go out on the field. And, and correct me, and I'm not an expert on this, but the type of cancer you had is 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 tough, right, to the survival, yeah. right? I mean, I know yep. in that special, you didn't you know, you don't really necessarily, I guess, recognize it or want to talk about that, but can you give anyone that isn't familiar with that, the type of, I guess, diagnosis that the osteosarcoma, if I said it correctly, what that really means? Yeah. Um, it's a bone cancer and when it metastasizes, when it spreads, it, uh, most commonly goes to your lungs and when it goes to your lungs, it's a lot harder for them to treat and for them to fight. So they have percentages for if it has spread and for if it has not spread. And it's definitely a lot, you have a lot better chance if it has not spread. Um, but there's no stages to osteosarcoma, like breast cancer's got like stage one, stage two. Um, it's just bad. If you get osteosarcoma, it's like, it's just bad. So it's a, it's an underfunded and understudied cancer that is really hard to like sequence and for the doctors to, to learn more information on. So the treatments haven't, haven't come along as far as some other cancers have. So, um, it's definitely an uphill battle. Yeah. And you're, you're around a great hospital, correct? I mean, you went right there in Minneapolis, one of the best hospitals. So Minneapolis, obviously between university of Minnesota, where you went to high school nearby and then the hospital, you know, Minneapolis is a special place for you, huh? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, I tell everybody that I'm, I'm so lucky to be only 15 minutes from the hospital, not only because uh, it's, it's close by if anything goes wrong, but there's never a day that went by where a cousin, a family member, a buddy, a teammate was, wasn't there sitting with me and, and going through it with me. So there's so many kids on, on that, on that cancer floor where they're getting chemo and they're sitting there by themselves because they're from out of state or for, from out of the country. And I, I felt bad when I would walk around the floor seeing people sitting by themselves and got really lucky to have so many people around me that cared for me. Now you talk about, um, you do mention too, uh, it, it, you know, you're, are you the youngest of, you have an older brother and sister? Yeah. Older brother and older sister. And so in, you mentioned, uh, that, you know, your parents and your, your brothers and sisters, they spent every night, you know, for the most part, I believe in the hospital with you. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? But also I really want you to talk about too, um, the brotherhood, uh, you know, when you got to Minnesota, cause I don't think a lot of people also understand, you know, your, those friends that you've developed, those a hundred guys that you are with day in and day out, you know, and going through what you've gone through, you, you mentioned some of them in your, in your big 10 speech, um, how much some of your teammates have meant to you and Kyle and I didn't necessarily play together, but we overlapped. And that was a friendship that started 16 years ago. And so when you talk about brotherhood, those are friends for life. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, just, uh, you know, the support your family's given you and then the brotherhood from your teammates? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that just kind of what I was covering before is that there was never a day that went by that I was alone. And I think that's, that's so huge mentally is like as a team and as a fan, not, not by yourself because it's a lot easier to get through things with, with people around you and with positives around. I feel very lucky to have what my mom, dad, whoever's down there with me, um, just somebody to talk to, somebody to, to cheer me and to watch movies with or whatever we were going through together. And then also uh, like the aspect of having teammates to go through it with me. Um, it's been huge. I mean, uh, my birthday was what a week ago and I had 115 text messages from guys who are two years younger than me to guys who have already graduated um, guys who I've played with. And that just goes to show you that the cool thing about a college football locker room that I think is different than, Sport is that it's 115, 120 guys from every walk, every race, every religion, every area puts you together, and you says, "You don't got, you don't got to love this guy. You got to figure out a way to win with them." And so it makes relationships out of situations you probably wouldn't have in any other area of your life. And I've been, I've been blessed to to get to meet a lot of really special guys and to have guys that I know are going to be in my wedding and um, teammates that'll be with me the rest of my life. Yeah. <clears throat> Brotherhood's real. Yeah. Actually, I tried to get rid of this guy over here. Um, <laughs> Can't do it. I had to, Can't do it. I guess we're we're kind of attached at the hip, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. He makes fun of me all the time, Casey. You might have to help me out. Maybe me and you. Holders unite, man. Um, yeah, something I wanted to touch upon also, uh, obviously this year for you, um, like as Coach Flex said, I think – you know, a week before the Big Ten uh, kickoff, right? The luncheon, I think it's in Chicago. Um, you know, before that occurred, you were pretty much an unknown entity, as you had mentioned, a third third string holder and in, in a walk on. Um, but you were once again a four time, uh, now five, right? Cancer survivor. So, talk us through um, 
that event of speaking in front of such a huge, it's Kirk Cousins has spoke there before and many others um, uh, have spoken as it's a big, big, big deal. I don't think a lot of people are probably thinking, oh, it's just a luncheon. No, it's, it's a, uh, it's a huge audience. It's a huge platform. Uh, talk us through that experience and then uh, kind of through to college game day and then off to the postseason. kind of how did all the media and all the notoriety um, come into play? You crushed that speech, by the way. Oh yeah, crushed it, <laughs> crushed it. And, and Reese Davis, before you get going, Reese Davis teed it up and put pressure on you. Yeah, he was like, you know, we've had this person and this person and that person, and then boom, you come up, and I'm like, oh man, you should be a public speaker, <laughs> right? Like, it was incredible. He didn't miss a beat. Didn't miss a beat. <laughs> Dropped the mic at the end too, I think. So. Yeah. So I was told that um, in the middle of summer, um, so each school gets to nominate like one person to go down and to, uh, to give the speech. And in the prior 15, 20 years, whatever it's been since the, the Big Ten Media Luncheon was created, um, number one, it's never been a walk-on. And number two, it's never been one of the three like marquee guys that you bring down. So each, each team brings down three guys who are your kind of well-known guys who the media wants to talk to. And so there was a there was like a committee who decides who the speaker is and minnesota sent my story in and i put together like a little resume or what have you to to send in to the big 10 and what i was told is that there was some 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 mixed opinions on selecting me as a speaker and um some people didn't love that i got selected and they wanted a, a more like a, a a name that would that would ring a little bit in people's ears and i wasn't that and so when I heard that, it kind of gave me a little chip on my shoulder. And I was like, well, I'm going to show you guys that this is going to be a speech that you're not going to forget. So that kind of goes back to that, that that underdog part of my life. And it was just another time where, where people were kind of betting against me. So I took that and I said, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to give you the best speech you guys have ever heard. So I went to work out then and there when I was told that I was elected and took it really, really seriously. Um, I think I, I practiced it probably 50, 60 times to the point where it was the night before I was giving my speech and we were down in the hotel in Chicago and I went into one of the stairwells and was going through it two, three times the night before, before I got into bed. So um, I was prepared for it and I wanted to to make sure they got up there and, and, and got my story out there on a, on a national stage. Man. Yeah. And you not only did it, like you said, and, and I love that. You took the underdog approach. Like I said, you've been the odds have been stacked against you from the get, and you mentioned it in your in your special. But uh, that's good to know too. I mean, that that just makes it even more uh, special. I think for anyone that's listening to this, that you were somewhat doubted as as being selected. So then you go to then you get that obviously starts the wheel in motion, right? <clears throat> and then you have the college game day experience, and then you were the what given the Spirit Award at the end of the season, right? For ESPN, yeah. Talk through how that went. Yeah, that was uh, that was unbelievable. Um, notified in like last week of the season, or the second to last week of the season, that uh, I had been selected for this award, and that um, ESPN was going to fly my family and I down to Atlanta, and we we're going to be part of the live show. And I didn't really know how big it was at the time. I was like, oh yeah, that sounds pretty cool, but uh, it didn't really set in till when um, till I got down to our hotel in Atlanta. 
And I walk in and there's like two security guards waiting to walk me up to my hotel room. <laughs> and I, I looked at the guys. I was like, what are you doing? You like, no, this place, no. So, and they're like, we do it for every player. So it was like Chase Young, Joe Burrow, Justin Fields, all those guys like that. And then I case over from Minnesota. <laughs> so, oh. That's awesome, man. And you deserve it. That's, that's, that's incredible. Um, so then after that, so I guess, I guess before we kind of hit to, uh, at the end, we do a rapid fire, but what, what is, I mean, after 2019 season, like what's next? I mean, obviously you're buying for a starting job, but I mean, that's, you, you almost hit it, hopefully maybe a national championship or, you know, something, but what, what is that? What else is out there for you to go get? Yeah. Um, the biggest two things that I have in mind for this year is number one, help our team win games, whatever, whatever that may look like, whether I'm starting or wherever I'm, I'm just being a leader in the locker room and, and getting this right. Um, and then number two, continue to expand my platform for the world of cancer. And then also anyone who's going through adversities. Um, I've kind of gotten to see my platform grow and how many people are following my story and how many people are looking up to me. And I just want to continue to, to use that for the right reasons and, and get that story out there to anyone who might need it. And I'll, I'll say this too, uh, you, cause you mentioned this, um, we played at, at Iowa and you know, that when we were way back when we played, there wasn't the, uh, the Hawkeye wave, but you mentioned how, how inspirational that is and hearing it from someone who's, you know, battled cancer and has, has won, you said, we don't know how much that truly means to those kids. Can you touch a little bit on the Hawkeye wave and maybe an experience you've had with that? And for those who don't know, you know, definitely something I would suggest you check out, maybe check out a, a, a an Iowa football game this year. Go to YouTube or, or go to YouTube. Just, you yeah. got it's a, it's, you got to see it. It's yeah. incredible. Can you explain to someone that has no idea what the, what that is to, to the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So what Iowa did recently is um, the Iowa Children's Hospital is right across the street from Kinnick Stadium. And they recently put up a wing of the hospital that overlooks one of the uh, the corners of the field. So at the end of the first quarter in every Iowa home game, uh, both both teams and both sections of fans stop and everybody looks up towards the, that wing of the uh, hospital. And there's kids on every single floor who go up to those windows and they wave down at the field. And everybody looks up there and waves back. And it's it's a really cool tradition because those kids in the hospital are are going through things you wouldn't believe, but they know that they got a whole stadium who's who's looking at them and and caring for them and smiling at them. So it's it's a really cool, cool deal. And I was lucky enough to get to travel down to Iowa this year and be a part of it. And um, I've had some pretty cool experiences this year, but that definitely might be at the top of the list right there to, to be involved with that and to know that um, I'm sitting there on the field as a player and there's kids up in the hospital going through the same cancer that I've been through. Yeah, awesome. yeah that had to be a surreal moment that I'm sure you'll remember forever. So, um, yeah, anyone that hasn't seen it, go check it out yeah, for sure. sure. So you ready for some rapid fire, Casey? Yeah, let's do it. Since you're a holder, I have to look out and make sure these questions aren't too hot for you. <laughs> but um, I'll, I'll kick. Actually, watch you kick it off. So we always hear, um, you know, Coach Flack has brought the rowing the boat to uh, to the, to the team, and it's something that he's carried with him, you know, throughout his coaching um, years or whatnot. What does rowing the boat mean for our listeners? And can you talk about maybe how rowing the boat has impacted you as a player? 
Yeah, absolutely. So the row the boat culture is a culture that Coach Fleck created. Um, and it's really just for, for people going through adversity. So it's been really good for me. But the row the boat is a never give up mantra. So the idea behind it is that no matter what the situation is, you're going to row the boat through that situation. And you're going to do it with the people around you. And you're going to do it with your teammates, your family members, whoever that might be. And it's about keeping energy and keeping love and keeping togetherness as you go through tough times and as you go through storms. So rowing through those storms together. Like you want to coach? I'm telling you, well, I want to throw a brick wall. <laughs> right. My man can, <laughs> what, what's your, what's your major? Uh, finance, but, uh, I got a little coach in me, so. I can hear yeah, it. Yeah. Coach, coach O'Brien, man. Yeah. He, yeah I, I would play for him. I'll tell you that much. Um, I'm going to stick away from question three. I'll let you do that one. Um, <laughs> you'll see what question three is. So I'll, I'll take a, a little bit easier approach. Um, as a college athlete, I think a lot of people are wondering right now with the global pandemic of uh, COVID-19, what is your you know schedule between classes and workout? Like, How are you guys at, with Minnesota football dealing with this uh, challenge? Yeah, absolutely. So – for us, uh, all of our classes are in the morning because we uh, we have a blocked off time in the afternoon from like two o'clock to, to six o'clock for spring ball practice. So right now I have class from different days, different times, but usually some from somewhere around nine o'clock to about one thirty, two o'clock. Some days it goes a little later, but um, the most important thing is to stay up with your classwork. Um, you, you can't be eligible if you don't stay up with your classwork. But then we have Zoom meetings with our position coaches four days a week. So we're meeting with our coaches on there. And then we, uh, we're, sent, we're being sent optional workouts. And the cool part about it is that they know that guys don't always have the same situation. So some guys have access to a full gym. Some guys only have access to dumbbells. And some guys don't have access to anything. And all they can do is bodyweight stuff. So they'll send us a, a workout for each of those three. So if you've got access to a gym, this is your gym card. This is your dumbbell card. And this is your body weight card. So they make it able for everybody to be able to get a workout and you can be held accountable. Yeah, we, we got kicked off by uh, by uh, people today. We, we, we do morning workouts on a local field and, and they gave us the boot, man. It's tough out here to get a workout. In. Yeah, it's real <laughs> in the field. It's not easy, man. You got to try to fit in and climb fences and try to find anything. It's it's no it's no joke. We did get our workout yeah. in, but we did get booted right. We after. got we literally booted on the last set. We got booted. But after guess that. what? We'll, got the work in. We'll be back tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit earlier. We figured out we got to get there. We got to. Yeah, well, it's completely dark before the sunrise. We were we were right there. Um. So number three, girlfriend. Got a girlfriend? I do. Okay. I okay. do. All right. All right. Nice. Yep. Is she, uh, she's been awesome. She's been, uh, it's been really fun to have somebody to, to share all these experiences with. She's been, she came down to the, uh, the award show in Atlanta and got the, we got to experience all that together. And then she was down at our bowl game and we got to, to beat Auburn. And, uh, it's been fun to have somebody to, to share all these moments with. It's awesome. Yeah. He's a BMOC, big man on campus. BMO. I never heard <laughs> that one. Big man on campus. Um, okay, nice. So, how many consecutive months? This is question four. How many? How many months consecutively have you been cancer? Have cancer-free scans? In my longest stretch, I got to my two-year scan and had a relapse. Um, right now, uh, I'm on about three months, I believe. Um, 
had a little spot pop up in November and then uh, a little spot in January that we had to take out with some surgeries. But um, good to be back on the, the right side of things and planning on keeping it that way. So you had, when that special went on, which would have been what, October, you were at like 17 surgeries, they said. How many yeah. total are you at now? 19? Uh, I'm at 19, I believe. Uh, I lose track. Mm. I got to sit down and write it all out, but yeah, it's a been lot. too many to say that. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's once again, I, I just, you just keep rolling, man. Your, your smile and your, you're just uh, an image of optimism, man. It's incredible. So keep fighting. You're doing awesome. Last one. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Okay. Predictions for next season. Cause you guys were really good last year and I exciting. It was a lot of fun watching you guys. Um, so what would you say your, your predictions are for next season? I would tell you that we lost some great players on defense, but we're bringing back a lot of guys on offense. Uh, we got a whole offensive line back. We got our, our running back back, our quarterback, three of our four wide receivers. So I think we're going to be really good on offense. And we're playing some young guys on defense. So if those young guys can come along and they can, they can fill their roles well, then I think we got a chance to win 10, 11 games for sure. You're my favorite player, man. I tell you that you will be my favorite player. I will be, we will be pulling for you to get out of, go win that starting job. One, two, perfect holds. I know nothing about holds, but perfect holds. And it, I mean, again, we're going to be cheering you on every single time, man. It's, it's going to be exciting. I, I always joke that I, I'm the best holder. I said it after the, the, the workout this morning, I said, Calvin, you remember when you're talking to Casey today, I'm the best holder ever in college football history. My of Ohio, Four years, fifty-two plus games, and he started laughing. But you know what? He is the best holder the of all right time. There. He's gonna be the best holder. And I'm telling you, I'm not. I'm not kidding. Just because you're on this show, like when I was watching you, I was like, wow, this guy's. You, you got some hands, and like I said, your first one laces completely back. He hit the spot. He hit the spin. He had the tilt. And and boom. hey, it's an art. People don't know it's an art. It's a it's a huge art, and you only got like split seconds. I mean, people don't realize that. You know, from snap to kick is what, 1.2? What are you guys aiming for now? We aim for 125. 125 so still. Okay. 125 seconds. By mm-hmm. 0.5 seconds, and I got to have it down in half a second. It's It moves quick for sure. Yeah. And then you got to read those. People don't realize how hard it is. So if the laces are back, like he received, um, and that's why you're always working with the snapper to work on the timing and the rotation, because if it's the laces are back and he got them all the way up front and got the ball stopped i mean that's really 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 hard i don't people realize how hard that is to catch especially in the cold you guys are up there in minnesota man yeah i know (laughs) it's it's later in the year and it's yeah we played in buffalo we're in ohio but we played up in buffalo in a snowstorm and i about like all right i was like tap out man this thing is way too cold hey you you jog out there and it's like who knows what kind of snap i'm gonna get (laughs) yeah yeah they're throwing a bullet on on national tv with with frozen hands yeah (laughs) right yeah yeah. millions watching so um i know we're gonna conclude but i there was a quote too that your dad um had had mentioned at the end um and he said there's a reason why there's survival odds and i know that's something you've never you, you know you've said you've just never wanted to look at but he said there's a reason why there's survival odds because someone beat it and Casey beat it. So man, continue doing what you're doing. I just thought that was a powerful words from your father. Um, you could definitely see the emotion in his eyes and, you know, being a parent now, you know, just 
what your parents have gone through in, in supporting you and having to, you know, just be a, be another rock for you, man. Uh, again, we're, we're in your corner. And like I said, you truly are my, you're my favorite college football player. I haven't had one for a long time. Uh, tell, your, <laughs> tell your equipment manager and PJ to shoot, shoot us a O'Brien jersey. <laughs> we can rock it. Yeah. So, Hey, we got the underdog podcast. And, guys. and I will say this too. I, I, I saw you guys, you, you do play our Miami Redhawks this year. Oh, they, did? they go. Do. They go up there. So take it oh, easy. Yeah. Week we, uh, week two. Then uh, you're at Purdue and you're in Bloomington, which are both only about two or three hours from here. So um, if if we can make that trip one Saturday morning, we'll definitely let you know. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to catch you guys in person. So that would be awesome. Yeah, tell uh, if you get a chance in pregame, go to Chuck Martin. Tell him I said hello. He, he we, me and him text a lot, so I'm gonna tell him to look after it for you. <laughs> All right, perfect. So, so, how can people? I know um, your platforms are growing. So, real quick, how can they follow you? He's not big on Facebook. No, he's not big out. on Facebook. We found that out. But Twitter and Instagram, and then yeah, anything Twitter else. Twitter and Instagram. My DMs are open on both. And uh, one thing that I'm proud about about myself is that uh, no matter who you are, I take the time to respond to each and every one. Uh, obviously, I missed it on Facebook there, but right. um, uh, I've had people reach out from Germany, Australia, the UK. Um, all across the United States and um, whoever you are, you're going to get a response back. So um, whatever that is, you need some advice, you need some words of inspiration, reach out and I'll get back to you. Humble leader. Love it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Continued uh, blessings. Stay healthy. We'll be watching you and uh, we can't wait. We'll let you know when we come see you and uh, we're going to try to catch a game of yours. So keep competing. We, uh, we pray that you uh, get the job, but more importantly, stay healthy and uh, best of luck, brother. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Not a problem. Thanks, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Underdog Podcast. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on the Apple and Google Podcast apps. And send our Twitter handle a screenshot of your rating at Underdog Pod with your shirt size for a chance to win a free t-shirt. See you next week on the UDP.